0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled Sexual Purity. Well, good morning. Boy, beautiful morning out there, isn't it? Well, today we're going to be continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're new to Rocky Peak, welcome. And inside of your bulletin is a uh, white message note sheet that will help you follow along the teaching. And we have that every week. And so uh, I want you to pull that out. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then we'll have a word of prayer and uh, jump in as we continue this uh, journey through 1 Corinthians. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in our church God, we look forward to the future with this great anticipation. And Lord, we understand, we know that this series is a big part of it, Lord, as we walk through your word together and we, we come alongside of this church in Corinth to learn what it means to follow you, what it means to change the way we think so we think like you do as we go through life. And Lord, today is just an important lesson in that, it's an important step in that journey. And so we pray that you would be here, that you would release us to understand your word in new ways. Thank you for bringing each of us here today. God, it's a privilege to be in your house today, circled around your word. And so we pray now that your spirit would come and be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're, uh, we are continuing this series in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Changing the Way You Think. And today we come to the topic of sexual purity. Now, this is a huge topic for the Corinthians. They lived in a very promiscuous culture, prostitution, way of life, affairs, illicit mistresses. It was just kind of the way they did life in, in Corinth. They even had uh, kind of sacred prostitutes, there's evidence at the, at the, the pagan temples at times. And so um, it was a way of life, but obviously it's a huge issue for them, but it's a big issue for us today in our culture, isn't it, as well? And not just in our culture, but frankly, even in the church. And uh, Paul talked, uh, kind of touched on this topic in chapter 5 a little bit. He talked about, remember they had this sexual immorality going on in the church that they were just kind of shining on, ignoring. We talked about that, we talked about accountability. In chapter 6 last week, if you were here, we looked at that one section where Paul says, hey, don't be deceived, uh, you know, the wicked won't enter the kingdom of God, and he kind of lays out what it looks like to be wicked, and the first four or five, four or five things he says have to do with sexual immorality. So he's touched on it in the last couple chapters, but today he really wants to zero in and help us to understand why sexual immorality is such a unique sin, why it has such a unique impact on our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to uh, chapter 6, and verse. we'll start at verse 12, as we talk about sex in the city uh, and in the church. Now, um, Paul's going to start out here with, with quoting a certain slogan, that was going around. There were certain slogans that were going around in the church um, uh, at Corinth. Now, you know what a slogan is. Like we have slogans or sound bites in our culture, right? You, marketers work really hard at this. Like if you think of Nike, you think of "Just Do It." Uh, you think of uh, Miller Lite beer. <laughs> don't drink it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> One of those beers is like "Less is More," right? Uh, uh, and uh, whatever, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> See, whatever you go off your notes, this, this gets you in trouble. Uh, uh, you've seen the bumper sticker, the ones with, that dies with the most toys wins. Uh, help me out. And I know it's nine o'clock, but just wake up, help me out here. What else are some other slogans we have in our culture? Do it your way. Do it your way okay. What, what? What's that? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah. What was it? Yep. But. Budweiser, something. More taste, less filling. (laughs) That's great. We we know all the beer ones. That's awesome. (laughs) That's great. Uh, (laughs) Anyone? uh, What else? I heard a couple others out here. The real thing, okay? So, so we have these slogans that, that kind of sum up, you know, uh, uh, less is more, oh, it's it's a, it's a philosophy of life. And it's amazing how these slogans have impact in our culture, isn't it? It's like they kind of embody a philosophy. And, and often they can portray a certain truth. And so they had certain of these slogans going around in the church of Corinth as well. And in some ways they were true slogans and yet they had limits. Uh, and so we're going to look at the first one throughout the book. Paul is going to quote some of these quotes that were going around and say, yes, that's true, but, you see, and he's going to correct it. Now, the the first one is here in chapter 6 and verse 12 that was going around and said, everything is permissible for me. See that? And notice if you have at least a new international Bible, I don't know if all the Bibles do this, but notice it's in quotes. See, everything is permissible for me. Now, the interesting thing is, in the Greek language that it was written in, there are, there is no such thing as quotes. Okay, so so these are English uh, translators putting this in because they believe it was a quote. And what it means is it's not an exact science that uh, as you go through the book of Corinthians from time to time, something will be in quotes, because the translators believe this was a quote, but we don't know for sure. It just kind of seems by the context. But they did a good job with this, so we're going to go with it. So um, everything is permissible for me. So this was uh, one of the slogans. Hey, everything's okay. I'm a follower of Jesus now. Everything is permissible. I'm a free man in Christ. Paul says, yeah, that's true, but not everything is beneficial. You know that we do have freedom in Christ. In fact, Paul may have uh, been, he may have been the one who came up with this this soundbite originally. You know, uh, one of the things that the apostle Paul taught is that once we come to Jesus, that because we're saved by faith and not by our works, that all the old Jewish uh, laws they don't necessarily apply to us anymore. So you don't have to keep all the Sabbath laws. Uh, you don't have to keep all the kosher food laws. Right? There's certain things that everything is permissible for us. We're free in Christ now, right? And so, to one extent, to a certain extent, this is a true statement. But there's limits, of course, and there were some in Corinth who were pushing it beyond the limits. And they were taking this to mean everything is permissible, to mean you can do whatever you want. There are no rules in life, and especially in the sexual arena that everything goes. These were like the original hippies. You know, it's like free sex or whatever. And so we'll see that in just a second. So he says in verse 12, everything is permissible for me. Hey, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. You have to stop and think about what you're doing. Everything's permissible for me, but I will not be mastered or addicted to, by anything. Now here's another one of their quotes. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. That's uh, not real catchy, but anyway, it's one of the quotes. Uh, but God will destroy them both. And so apparently there were people around saying, hey, it doesn't really matter what you eat because food was created for the stomach, uh, the stomach for food. Uh, They're both going to perish, you know, over time. And so you really have freedom in Christ to eat whatever you want, which is true. Which is true. That's really true. He says, but look at the next thing that they were saying. However, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So there were some there who were teaching that, hey, Food is for the stomach. Stomach is for food. Hey, the body is for sex. Sex is for the body. You see, God's created the one for the other, and what we do with our bodies really doesn't matter spiritually. So it's kind of the original teaching that there's not really a connection between our sexuality and our spirituality. We'll come back to that later. And Paul says, no, that's not true. Our bodies are created for the Lord. Verse 14. This is by his power, God raised the Lord. Talking about the Lord Jesus. By his power, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. In other words, he didn't just leave him in the grave. He raised him out. He raised his body, right? God had plans for his body. And he will raise us also. That your physical body, God will raise one day. Your body is for the Lord. And he has plans for it. So verse 15. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, this is some amazing teaching. What the Bible teaches is that when a person comes to Christ, and we talk about this often here, but it's so important, that when a person comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, comes to reside in your body. And what Paul is saying is that's not just a metaphor That is a spiritual reality. That Christ comes to inhabit your body so that your body becomes a member of his body. Your body is an extension of Christ. we talk about being the body of Christ, it's literally true. I like to think of it as being online with Jesus. You know, it's like I can be at home and I get on my computer, check my email at the server here at the office, and I go online, and now I'm linked up, right? And so the server and I are linked, Well, the Bible says that when a person becomes a Christian, the spirit comes in and we are linked up, that our physical bodies become an extension of his body. See, that's the teaching. So he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So, he says, shall I then take the members of Christ, in other words, your body, and unite them with a prostitute? Now, prostitution was common... In Corinth, um, you could go out and hire a prostitute like we often think of today, but prostitutes were often a way of life. You know, you'd have a dinner party and after dinner you might invite, uh, your your host may have provided prostitutes in you know, like a professional escort service type of thing for uh, kind of your after dinner entertainment. Prostitution was a big deal. And so there were some people there apparently in the church who were saying, hey, that you're, we're Christians now, but you know, our bodies are going to perish someday. They're not going to really last And so it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies. And so that would be fine for us to be Christians and continue to have relations with prostitutes. That would be fine. And so he says, No, stop and think about this. Is that really, do you really want to be, now that you're connected with Jesus and your body is an extension of Jesus, do you want to take Jesus and have him connected to a prostitute? So, verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, and we'll talk about them more later, but there's a special uniting that takes place through sex. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? There's a special union that happens. For it is said, and he quotes Genesis chapter 2 from the first marriage of Adam and Eve, the two will become one flesh. The catch is verse 17, but he who unites himself with the Lord, okay, becomes a Christian is one with him in spirit. Now, I want you to catch the logic here. You become a Christian, and so Christ comes into your life. You're united with Christ in spirit, right? So your body becomes part of an extension of his body. Now, you go out and have illicit sexual activity. You have an illicit sexual affair. You connect, unite in that illicit physical uh, sexual affair. You've just taken Jesus and brought him along for the ride and brought him into that illicit sexual union. You see? So Paul says, you are connected with the Lord. When you connect with a prostitute, you're connected with a prostitute. You see how this all works. Why this is such a big deal. Why illicit sexuality is such a big deal. So verse 18, he says, so here's what you need to do. You need to flee from sexual immorality. You know, you need to run for your life. You need to, uh, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just run for it. And he says, all other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That's very interesting. Um, Paul is saying here that sexual sin is a unique sin. It has a unique impact on our lives. It's a little hard to understand exactly what he's talking about because when you think about it, there are other sins that affect our bodies, right? Like, for example, um, if we uh, abuse alcohol or we abuse drugs or we commit suicide or we uh, overeat, we're, we're sinning against our body, right? So there's other sins. But he seems to be saying here that there is a unique sense that sexual sin, because of this linkage, because of this one flesh union that happens that there is a unique sense in which sexual sin um, is a sin against ourself. It it, it it destroys us at the soul level. And we'll talk about more later why that is. Now verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Don't you know that? And, like, just, you are not your own... You were bought at a price. That's interesting. A lot of us don't realize that when we come to Jesus, we ask Him to come into our life, forgive our sins, change us from the inside out, save a place in heaven for us. We commit our life to Christ. We often don't read the fine print, and the fine print is that when we give our life to Christ, He gets our life. That our body becomes His body. That you no longer belong to yourself. If you're a Christian. Your body belongs to him. He bought it. He paid the price in his blood. He bought it. The term here, when it says that you're bought with a price, is the same term they would use for buying a slave in the slave market. See, God has purchased us. Our bodies belong to him. They are no longer uh, to be used as we want. They belong to him. He says, therefore. Honor God with your body, okay? So let's step back and let's talk about the flow of the passage and then we'll get into the principle. So the flow of the passage. Apparently there's people teaching in in Corinth that uh, our bodies, since they're one day going to be destroyed anyway, they're going to die and perish, that our bodies, what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter. So the same way that, uh, you know, it's okay what you eat or drink, you're free there, that you're free to do sexually whatever you want to do. All things are permissible, that there's no connection between our sexuality and our spirituality. Paul says, no, that is not the case. God has plans for your body. Your body is sacred. Your body is special. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus resides in your body. And so you can't take Jesus and connect him to a prostitute. You've been purchased for God. You belong to God. Okay, so that's the flow. Now, let's talk about the principles. The principles there on your note sheet are uh, sexual purity 101. Now, you probably wonder, why do you keep saying 101? Is that the most creative thing you can think of? Every sermon, it's accountability 101. It's sexual purity 101. Can't you just, you know, you've got all week. Work on this. Work with me. But uh, the reason I'm doing this is because it's very intentional. As we go through this series, what we're really doing is we're laying foundational truth about what a healthy church looks like. And, you know, you take courses in school. 101 is like the basic course. And so every time, we're not, we're not teaching everything about accountability. We're not teaching everything about sexual purity. We're just laying some basic foundational teaching that is critical for us as a church to lock into and to move forward with. And so today, we're going to focus on two principles that are just foundational that flow out of this passage, one of the most important passages on sexual purity in all of uh, the New Testament, all the Bible. So here we go. Number one. The first thing I want you to catch is that sexual immorality is a big deal and it has powerful repercussions. It's a, it's sexual immorality. is a big deal. It has powerful repercussions. Um, See, so the Corinthians were teaching that sex is really not a big a deal. You know, uh, foods for the stomach, stomachs for food, bodies for sex, sex for the body, it's really no big deal, and this is a pretty much becoming the common day, teaching of our world today, isn't it? This is pretty much the secular view today, that, that sex is really not that big a deal, you know, it's like eating, like drinking, you have sex, brush your teeth, whatever, it's just, these are just all basic needs and appetites of life, and so it's, the, it's all kind of the same, it's really no big, so don't, don't, don't worry about it, you know, hook up with the way, love the one you're with, doesn't really matter, it's no big deal, we're making way too big a deal about this thing. And that's kind of the common thought. It's interesting, this week uh, I was reading in Christianity Today about the World Cup um, uh, games. And I don't know if you knew this, I didn't know this, but back in 2002 at the, uh, in Germany, Germany decided to legalize prostitution. So there are 400,000 legal prostitutes, legalized prostitutes in, in Germany. Um, but for the World Cup, apparently that wasn't going to meet the demand. And so they... So they expect about 40,000 um, kind of out-of-country uh, uh, prostitutes to come in to meet the need. But here was what really blew me away. I, it's interesting. I didn't pick this up in any media. If you've picked it up, maybe catch me afterwards. I mean, but I hadn't heard this. But they actually, at the stadiums where the games are being played, there are what they call sex huts, official sex huts that are placed around the stadium. They're sort of like a porta potty type thing. And, and they have inside, uh, they have condoms and they have snacks. And so these things are there available so that if the game gets boring, which, of course, soccer always is boring. But um, see, this would never work in the States. It would never work in the States because you have football. There's way too much. I'm not going to miss four plays, you know, whatever. So anyway, but anyway, but I'm reading this. And I'm, I'm saying, you've got to be kidding me. And see, this is where our culture is going, right? It's sex, it's like, you, you know, you go to the concession stand. It's like, oh, I'll get a hot dog, get a, you know, get my uh, a Coca-Cola, you know, and oh, I'll stop by the sex side. It's just, sex is just, it's no big deal. This is just kind of, uh, you know, it's just it's a natural need. And that's kind of where our culture is going. And yet, on the other hand, the interesting thing in our culture is there's an other message that's going on by the same crowd. And the same the other message is that sex is everything. That sex is like the secret of happiness. Uh, about a month ago, I was waiting to get my hair cut. And uh, uh, I was looking through the magazines there, and the one that looked least offensive was called um, Men's Health. And I thought, you know, that sounds pretty safe. And, um, and so I pull out Men's Health, and the guy looked really healthy on the front. So, you know, it's like, okay, guess what? I, and, you know, I was blown away as article after article was really, there was just so many articles about sex. How to get it? How to give it? How to do it better? You know, uh, just on and on and on. Just in an article about men's health, didn't learn a lot about health, but, uh, and so, in, in one breath, our culture is saying sex is no big deal, and the next breath, it's like it's the secret of life, it's the secret of happiness. So, like, which is it? Is sex no big deal or is sex a big deal? Well, here the apostle Paul wants to weigh, and he says sex is a big deal. That what we do with our bodies is huge. It's, it's, it's a really big deal. And the reason is, is because of the unique ability that sex has to bond two people together. Now, what the Bible says is that God designed sex to, to bond a man and a woman for life. That's a, it's, it's almost like a spiritual superglue. See, this is to design a man, it's designed to bond two people, uh, kind of emotion, uh, at an emotional level, uh, a physical level, a spiritual, to bond them together. That's what it's designed for. Of course, the problem is when we start using super glue in the wrong places. Have you ever done that? Have you ever used to, you super glue and got stuck someplace you didn't want to? You're no one, you know, no one else is around. You're the one in the home, right? <laughs> help! Help! You know, you're just like stuck. And pretty soon you just gotta, You know, rip it away, right? Uh, it's kind of like when you're a kid, you know, you come in from the hot, hot summer day, knowing, you don't, you're dumb, you don't know anything better. You reach into the freezer, you get out that, those ice cubes, you know, you lick them, you learn, right? Oh, you don't want to do that. You're stuck, right? And so, so sex is this incredibly powerful, spiritual superglue designed to link people together. But what happens when you link up with the wrong person and then you break that relationship? See, there's a tearing, isn't there? There's a tearing of souls that happens. Let's look at this in 1 first Corinthians chapter six and verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself? Now, if you write in your Bible, which I'd recommend, um, I wonder where that word unites. See, sex is a, un, it's a uniting. There's a bonding. Do you not know that he who, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her? Underlie that word one. Is one with her. There's something happens in sexuality that unites us to the other person. As, as he says, the two will become uh, one flesh. And so the problem is, is that when we unite with someone who is not our spouse... And then we, we break it off and we unite with someone else. And every time there's a tearing of our soul that happens and we lose a little part of ourself in the process. And, and there's a, it leads to a spiritual leanness of soul. Uh, I often think of this when I think of, remember the, the movie Lord of the Rings and you have the, remember the, the black riders who would ride on the black horses? They were the ring wraiths. And, and they were these, like, ghost-like uh, creatures that could never die, and yet they had no life left within them, and so you could see through them. And I've often thought of that. That, that sex creates, like, a, a spiritual rave. It, sex outside of marriage. There, there's, there's a, um, a, a ripping, a tearing away at our soul. And so, Paul says, this, you gotta be very careful about this. Um, Years ago, uh, there was a, a professor, he died just a few years ago at, uh, at Fuller Seminary, a very respected ethicist, uh, uh, ethics professor who wrote a lot. His name was Lewis Smeads. He wrote a book that was very helpful because he's a real thinker sort of guy, a philosopher, kind of a philosopher writing on sex. It was called Sex for Christians. And uh, it was really thoughtful. And I put a quote there in your note sheet. It's kind of long, but it's really helpful. And I, I want us to start, have it together. Let's follow along. He says, sexual intercourse involves two people in a life union. This is an insight, and by the way, this is a quote that's referring to the same passage we're studying today, 1 Corinthians 6. This is an insight that explains Paul's fervent comment on a member of Christ's body sleeping with a prostitute, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Now, it doesn't matter what the two people have in mind. The whore, now think of the, the, the World Cup games, the sex hut now, the whore sells her body with an unwritten understanding that nothing personal will be involved in the deal. The buyer gets his sexual needs satisfied without having anything personally difficult to deal with afterward. He pays his dues and they're done with one another. But none of this affects Paul's point. The reality of the act, unfelt and unnoticed by them, is this, that it unites them, body and soul, to each other. It unites them in that strange and impossible to pinpoint sense of one flesh. There's no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual people are about it. Intercourse signs and seals and maybe even delivers a life union. Nobody can really do what the prostitute and her customer try. Nobody can go to bed with someone and leave his soul parked outside. Isn't that great? Wow, what a strong statement. Afterward, the two people seldom feel the same way toward each other again. They may love each other as never before. They may resent each other. They may only feel comfortable with each other. But after intercourse, the relationship is somehow not what it was before. Casual sex is a contradiction in terms. And so the Apostle Paul, first thing we need to understand is that sexual immorality, it's a big deal, and it has long-term repercussions on our life, okay? The number two, the second principle. The second principle is based on the first. It goes like this, sexual purity is incredibly important to God. That because of the nature of sex, what it does, sexual purity is incredibly important to God. Now, there were many in Corinth who were saying it's no big deal. In fact, this is very common today. In our culture today, if you stop and think about it, our culture today by and large would say there is no link or very little link. There's probably no link between our sexual person's sexuality and their spirituality okay as a culture and so you hear this all the time someone's like oh yeah i'm in, i'm spiritual i'm kind of into god and you know but they're uh sleeping with their boyfriend they're living with their fiance uh before they're married uh they may be having an affair or had some affairs and the way they would see it is this i'm really close with god i'm a very spiritual person but um what does that have to do with my sexuality you see and and so our culture would say there's no link between our sexuality and our spirituality and, and interestingly enough, tragically enough, that, that teaching is even coming into the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I've talked to many believers who are violating the clear teaching of Scripture and really seeing it as no big deal, you see. And Paul says, no, 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 there is a link between our spirituality and our sexuality. It's a huge deal. And what he's going to tell us is that it's impossible to walk with Jesus and compromise in this area that if we're serious about following Jesus, that one of the first areas that we have to get right with God is in the area of our sexual morality. And it's not the the first time he's said it in this letter. Stop and think with me. Chapter 5, he says, if someone claims to be a believer, and yet they're living in ongoing sexual sin, they refuse to repent and leave it behind, he says that you have to ask them not to be a part of your church anymore. It's that serious. In chapter 6, we were in this last week. We'll look at it again in just a minute. But Paul says, don't be deceived. Those who are the wicked will not enter the kingdom of God. They're not going to heaven. And the first four out of the five items on the list, sexual morality issues. Here, though, in chapter 6, he spells out why this is so important. He says it's so important because since you're connected to Jesus spiritually, Jesus goes where you go. And when you have illicit sexual activity, you're involving Jesus in that process. This is a big deal. It's very important. Now, this message about the importance of sexual purity runs throughout the whole New Testament. And you see it in a variety of ways. But I want to point out just a couple of ways. One way that you see it is in what, what we call the sin list. Now, throughout the New Testament, the apostles at time will, will give you a sin list. And a sinless is basically shorthand for here's what it looks like to follow Jesus or what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus, you know. And so I'm just going to lay it out, you know. And, and so we, we saw one last week in chapter 6. Let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. And we're going to look at two or three of these. But what I'm going to point out to you is that in the sinless of the New Testament, almost every time, almost every time, the first thing on the sinless is sexual immorality. See, the Holy Spirit's giving us a clue here that if you want to walk with Jesus, step number one is we have to give our bodies to God. All right? So, so uh, verse nine, six, 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, so what do you mean, Paul? What's the wicked? Who's the wicked? What are you talking about? Do not be deceived. And then notice what he says. He's going to list 10, ten examples here of what wickedness looks like. And the first four out of five are going to be sexually related. Neither the sexually immoral, number one, nor idolaters, which actually in the ancient world, these things often went together. But the next, uh, the next one, nor adulterers, so that's obviously a sexual issue, nor male prostitutes, that's uh, probably a, a homosexual male prostitute, uh, nor homosexual offenders. Okay, so for the first five, he says, this is wicked, and those who live these lifestyles and will not repent, he says, they're not getting in. They're not going to heaven, you see? So you see, you see how important this is. First thing on, this, on the sin list, four to five, sexual issues. Let's go to another one. Go, go to Galatians 5. So to the right in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, here's another one of these sin lists. Now this one, the Apostle Paul is contrasting what does it look like to be led by the Holy Spirit versus to be led by the old sin nature, the flesh. And he's going to say, verse 19, 519. The acts of the sinful nature, they're obvious. And and he's going to list a bunch of obvious things here. But look what's the verse two. Sexual morality, impurity. Very first on the list, you see? Let's go to another one. I'll move to the right a little bit more to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, here's another one of the sin lists. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly or fleshly nature. First thing on the list, sexual immorality. Second thing on the list, impurity. Third thing on the list, lust. You see? So this is very typical. Well, you go through the sin list. This is very typical. It's a standard operating procedure. You know, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Okay, step number one is uh let's clean up you know the sexual morality. Okay. Now the New Testament though, in addition to the sinless, it also has, of course, passages with clear teaching, like First Corinthians five and six we've just been looking at, on the importance of sexual purity. So I want you to turn to one of my favorites. Just keep going to the right in your Bible since we're in that direction anyway. Go to First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians four and we're going to look at the first eight verses. And what I want to do is walk you through them real quickly. And then we're going to come back. And there in your note sheet, there's a section that's called What It Takes to Please God, Four Quick Observations. We're going to make on this so you can make sure that we don't miss it, okay? Chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you. Now, he'd only been in, in Thessalonica a few weeks to plant the church. It's only been a few months since the church started. So these are brand new Christians, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So notice that the topic of this passage is how to please God, okay? As in fact, you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now notice that. uh, We're talking about pleasing God, what it takes to please God, and it's based on the authority of Jesus. So Paul's not making this up himself. Verse 3. So here it's God's will. Now, notice that. It's pretty important. We'll come back to It's God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, set apart. You should be different. You should do life a different way than your old life. You should think differently. Okay, so we need to be sanctified. What does that look like? Well, look what he says, first of all, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen, who do not know God, and in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. And to catch this, the Lord will punish men for all such sins. We'll come back to that. As we told you before, we warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, catch this he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, you've got your note sheet there. Find that section where it says what it takes to please God, four quick observations. I'm going to go through and just make four quick observations on these eight verses, okay, about sexual purity. Number one, the first thing it tells us is that if you want to please God, sexual purity is a non-negotiable. So you want to please God in your life. It's it's a non-negotiable. Verse one. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So if you're here today and you say, yes, Mike, I want to please God. I want to follow God. I don't want to, I don't want to irritate God. I want to tick God off. I want to please God. Um, and so how do you do that? The first thing we have to say is that, well, this is a non-negotiable. It's impossible to please God and, and not follow Him in this, this area. So whether it's, you know, uh, premarital sex, homosexual, uh, acts, uh, sex outside of marriage, uh, living together, uh, pornography. If we want to please God in our life, uh, we've got to start here. And number two, if you want God's will for your life, it starts with sexual purity. Let me ask you a question, not a trick question. <laughs> How many of you want God's will for your life? You want God's will for your life? Okay, great. Not everyone, but a few of you do. All right, good. <laughs> Like, no, I don't want God's will. I want to do it my way. Frank Sinatra is my hero. Uh, okay. Just teasing you. Um, yeah, I think most of us would say, yeah, we want God's will for our life. And that's why we're here. We're here to study His Word together, we're here to learn. We want God's will. Uh, when we pray, we say, God, would you show us what to do? And we're thinking of moving. Uh, we're thinking of starting a business. We're thinking of changing a career. We're trying to figure out who to marry. Um, we, we have decisions to make, and we often bring these decisions. Like, God, we want your will, right? We're always asking for God's will. And so what this, this passage says is if we want God's will, the first step in finding his will for our life it starts with sexual purity. Look at verse 3. It's God's will you should be sanctified. What does that mean, Paul? Well, it means that you should avoid sexual immorality. You see? Kind of some of the first steps of following Jesus. It's interesting to me because many times we will ignore... You know, there's only three or four times in the New Testament where there's something that says, this is God's will for your life. You know, and this is one of them. And here's the, the principle is that many times we will ask God for God's will in all kinds of areas but we then will not obey him and where he's been really clear. And what a waste of time that is, you know? It's like my teenage daughter. You know, I've used this illustration before, but, you know, I say, you know, hey, curfew's at 11 o'clock and she comes in at three in the morning. I don't really want to talk to her about anything but that, right? Oh, no, dad, let's talk about your plans for my life. No, it's not. Let's put those on hold, right? We need to go back and talk about this issue, and that's how it is with Jesus. If we want God's will for our life, what a waste of time to ask for our will. And oh, should I marry this person? God, we, you know, we're we sleeping with them. and Should I marry them? It's like, well, you know, that's going to kind of cloud your judgment, right? When you sleep with someone before you're married, one of the reasons God says don't do it is because it clouds your judgment. You're trying to make the most important decision of your life. Is this the person to marry? And, and sex is the greatest intoxicator in life. It's like you're doing life under the influence, trying to make that decision, you see. And so so God says, if you want my will in your life, let's start with the basics. Okay, number three. If you disobey, you'll be disciplined. Very clearly, this passage says this. In verse 6. It says, the Lord, catch this, this is pretty heavy duty. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. That is a promise. Take it to the bank. You know, there are a lot of reasons why I want to avoid sexual immorality in my life. But can I be honest with you? One of the big reasons is, I know he would get me. I have no, there's no doubt in my mind that dad would get me. Dad would find out and I would have a reckoning. And my experience is is dad knows how to bring punishment. You know, it's, you remember what Proverbs says? Proverbs says that the Lord disciplines the child he loves. It's quoted again in Hebrews chapter 12. Is that God is a father and this area is such an important area of your life that if you blow off your father's instruction, dad will come home. It's just absolutely will. There's very few places in the New Testament where it says, don't do this, God will punish you. This is one of them. It's a big one, you see. So don't want to mess. Number four. Fourth principle is if you reject this, you're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. You know, we can sit here to say, and and it'd be easy for someone to say, Oh, Mike, whatever, you're just old fashioned, and and I don't know, I don't think it's none of your business, and what are you trying to do? Tell me how to live. And what, what it's saying is like, hey, if you're rejecting this, you're not rejecting Pastor Mike. Like, who cares? You're rejecting God who gives His Holy Spirit. Now, if I were to ask you, do you want to have the Holy Spirit active in your life? Do you want to experience the Spirit's voice and guidance in your life? Do you want to experience the Holy Spirit's transforming, change you from the inside power in your life? Do you want the Holy Spirit's answers to your prayers? Do you want the Holy Spirit's activating of your spiritual gifts so you can make a difference forever, for eternity? We would say yes. We want to experience the Holy Spirit. We want that. We want the Spirit's leadership in our life. Well, Paul says, "Well, you can kiss it goodbye if you're going to reject this teaching. He who rejects this is not rejecting man's teaching. He's rejecting the Holy Spirit who gives us life. You see, so pretty heavy duty. Now, there. If you flip the page over, the path to purity. So what's Paul's advice to us? Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6:18. In light of what we've learned today, that our bodies are sacred, that sex is special, it's a spiritual superglue designed to to uh bond a husband and wife together for life. Um that it tears at us when we pull when we have sex outside of marriage, it rips us apart. It dehumanizes us. It it robs us spiritually. It it steals our soul from us. It connects Christ with the, uh, the the illicit sin. In light of that teaching, Paul, what's your advice then? Well, his advice comes in verse eighteen, and it's pretty succinct. Verse eighteen: flee from sexual immorality. It says because of all the repercussions, run for your life. Now, it's interesting because this, this verb that's used, flee here, in the Greek, in the Greek language, it, it's a word that means like to run for your life like someone's chasing you, like you're trying to escape, you're making a great escape. You know, when I was 19 and young and dumb, which I guess is kind of re- redundant, but um, uh, when I was 19, um, it was before we were married, shortly before. And, uh, and so... Um, I was living down in San Diego and uh, my folks were living in Orange County and so I, I hitchhiked up one day. So, I told you I was dumb. But, um, I got I from San Diego up the five, 405, and went up to, uh, to Fountain Valley. And then, uh, on my return, I was hitchhiking back home. And so I got dropped off on the way home at the, at the five freeway at El Toro Road there, where, um, you know, Bob's big boy is and, and that. It's kind of a fairly busy intersection. And so, um, I was pretty excited about that. Good opportunity to get a ride. You know, it's a good place to get let off. And so I'm standing there, you know, on the five, you know, doing the hitchhiking thing. And all of a sudden, this old van pulls up and uh, beat up the van and open up and, and when they open up it is packed full of guys and, and and they're like a motley crew I mean these guys you just took a look and said you know th- th- these are not the guys you want to hang out with right and, and mean looking and just and and it was full I mean there had to be eight, ten guys in there in the back of this van and one guy jumps out and he, he says to me get in and I may have been young and dumb but I wasn't that dumb you know <laughs> And in that moment, in that moment, something kicked in and said, danger. And, and instinctively, I turned, and I was 19 and very fast, and I just took off. And this guy started running after me. And I'm running through, going through trash bins and hiding, going behind, you know. And pretty soon I was putting some distance between me and him, and then after a while I looked back and he wasn't there any longer. And I've often thought of that and thought, how my life would have been different. <laughs> You know, while wow, in that moment of time, you make a split decision in the moment of danger and your life hinges on that. And something instinctively kicked in and said, Mike, flee. Run for your life. This is danger. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, hey, sex is a big deal. Run for your life. Flee. Flee. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Don't jog. It's not like jog away from sexual morality, you know. Take a brisk walk in the opposite direction. <laughs> Saunter away. No, 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 no. It's it's flee. It's Mike. Run for your life. Someone's out to steal it. You see. Now. This is something that as a church we have to decide on. We have to decide as individuals. We have to start as a church. Are we going to follow Jesus in this area? Are we going to change the way we think? Are we going to we're we going to embrace this teaching about sexual purity? Are we going to make the decisions that we need to? You know, Paul feels so strongly about this. I want us to look at one other passage of Scripture, and then uh, and we'll wrap it up. But I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Interesting little passage of Scripture that is often kind of skipped over. But today, as we study this in, in the light of this teaching today, I think I'm just going to jump off the page. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. Paul says, But among you, so this is his word to us, among you, Rocky Peak, among you, Church of Rocky Peak, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Catch this. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. He comes to us today. He says, Rocky peak. He says, I'm not just talking about stopping sleeping with your girlfriend or Hey, move out from your fiance or let's do this right and get married or stop messing around with pornography. he says, what I'm saying is not even a hint of it in your congregation. You know, no off-color jokes. You know, not. not, hey, did you hear the one about the traveling sale? No, 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 no. No. There's no obscenities, no crude language, no sexual innuendo. This is a call to purity. You see? It's not just a cure to, like, well, just don't skip this big step. No, it's a call to purity. This is his call upon us. now, Let me talk to those. You know, I'm sure that we have different kinds of people here. Probably some of us here today, um, you're probably in pretty good shape. And it's like, it's it's a good message for you. It's helpful for others, good reinforcement. But you're honestly doing pretty well in this area. You've staked your claim. You've given your life to Christ. You've been following him. It's not that you're perfect. It's not you never struggle. We all struggle. We understand that. But you're doing pretty well. But you know, in a congregation this size, I'm sure there are many of us today that are struggling right now. Maybe we've fallen. Maybe we're a long way from home. Maybe you are sleeping with your girlfriend friend maybe you are sleeping around maybe you are having homosexual encounters maybe you are in the midst of an affair that hasn't even come to light yet maybe you are late at night up at, at night and you're on that computer and you're, you're checking out those websites and your pornography is sort of a way of life and, and this is happening for you and so what's his message? His message is to flee. His message is this is not one of condemnation. I'm not here to condemn you today. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not what this is about. But God has come to set us free and part of that freedom is we have to leave the past behind. And so if we're in that spot it means we need to make a decision. We need to repent. We need to turn away. You see, God has the ability to heal us. Maybe you've had a promiscuous past. Maybe you've slept around a lot. And you know what I'm talking. When I talk about the leanness of soul, you understand that. You say, Mike, I get that. Even if the Bible didn't tell me that. I know it's true. It's just true from my experience. And I've got good news for you. The good news is, is that Jesus is the restorer of souls. And it doesn't matter what we've come, where we've come from. It doesn't matter what we've done. He can heal your heart. Remember Psalm 23. He restores my soul. And he can restore yours. And he can heal your heart. But it all starts with a decision on our part. A decision to do the right thing. As we saw in First Corinthians six, what did he say? He said, You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And if we're going to make if we're going to succeed in the area of sexual purity, it starts with us surrendering our whole lives to him and acknowledging we don't belong to us. We belong to you. Our bodies don't belong to us anymore. And we submit to him. And it's as we do that that he is able to come in and empower us as we recognize that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the temple's all messed up, it's in disrepair, that we submit, the healer of the temple can come and he can cleanse that temple. That it all begins with that decision. You know, one of the exciting things this year for me as I've been here at Rocky Peak now over a year is the emails and the letters and the conversations I've had with people who are deciding to take Jesus seriously on this issue. And I'll tell you, it's exciting. You know, the couples would say, hey, we were living together and God began to convict us and so we moved into separate bedrooms and and then we convicted us, we needed to move apart and we didn't know how to do that, but we said we would obey him and then God opened up miraculously a place for us to stay and provide the finances or whatever young single people I was in this relationship with someone who was an unbeliever we were sexually active I've been postponing putting it off and God's convicted me I'm stepping out I've got new freedom in my life the guys I've talked to that have shared with me how they've taken steps to get out of the pornography trap and and how new freedom has come in their life It's one of the most exciting things of this year to watch us get free as a congregation but it all starts with that decision that we're going to take Jesus seriously we're going to stop pretending it's no big deal No, it is a big deal. It's a big deal. And as a congregation, we want to follow him, be a place of purity. Because men and women, there is freedom in purity. And Jesus came to set you free. He came to set me free. This is one of the most important areas of our life. That's why the Bible starts here so often. If we're messed up sexually, we're just messed up. It affects all of our life, right? Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful for your mercy, God, that when you come to us, you don't come with condemnation, you come with a desire to save. And Lord, so we come as a congregation with a fresh desire in our heart today to really submit our lives to you in this area. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters here today who are struggling in this area. Lord, they've been caught in sin. They've been trapped in this web. They've been lying to themselves and to others. It's no big deal. And today, the lights are going on. And they're seeing it, Lord, but they're caught in the devil's trap. And Lord, we just need some power today. And so as a congregation, we pray for our brothers and sisters here that you would bring power in their life today. That as they submit, you would give them the strength and the courage. God, give them the friends that they need to share this with, for the accountability. Give them the courage to go to one of the sexual purity groups we have here on our campus to help them escape this. Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray that we be a church that's pleasing to you in this area of purity. Would you give us the grace and the wisdom to know how to do this, how to follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. Great song, you know, to my dying breath, I am yours. and. Uh, that's what the heart of this passage is about in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, that, that we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body, my body, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Amen? Amen. And so that means all, all bets are off. It's a whole new game. You know, you don't belong to yourself. I don't belong to myself. And here's the greatest paradox of the Christian life is that it's in death that we find life. And it's in submission that we find freedom, you see. And this is the greatest thing, the greatest paradox of life. When we submit to his leadership and his limits, it opens us up to a whole new world of freedom. We never could imagine what was there. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. May this be a week of new freedom in your life. And if this is an area that you're processing through and struggling through, I really encourage if you're a brother, get with a Christian brother that you trust. If you're a sister, get with a Christian sister that you trust and share your heart because these are things that are too hard for us to bear on our own. We need to be in the body. We need to be fellowship. We have these resources here, sexual purity groups for men and for women. And so if this is an area where the battle is raging in your life, don't fight it alone. Get with the the family. Get with the the brothers and sisters and go together. May this be a, a, a week where you learn more what it means to walk with Jesus. May it be a week where you draw close to him. May it be a week that you find the freedom that comes in obedience and delight that comes when we realize that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And may you glorify God with your bodies this week. We'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at RockyPeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.